Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. This is the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Goodison Park. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Royal Blue podcast. Uh, I'm joined by um, Gab Buckland and our Echo um, Everton correspondent, Joe uh, Thomas, as we look back on um, Everton's um, game at Villa Park at the weekend. Joe and myself are both down there in Birmingham. Unfortunately, it was another defeat for the Blues as they succumbed uh, 2-1 uh, to Stephen Gerrard's side. Uh, very disappointing how uh, that one worked out. But, of course, there's, there's plenty to talk as well about Anthony Gordon, but we'll come all to that in in good time. If I, if I come to you first, uh, Joe. I mean, we were down there at Villa Park at the weekend. Um, didn't do um, particularly much wrong, but it's it's two games and two defeats now. It is. It is. I think you know when you look at back at those two games, you can you can see that Evan aren't quite far off where. Lampard probably wants them to be. Yeah, they're, they're competitive, they're relatively resilient, they're clearly solid at the back, but clearly they're still lacking a few players, I think, that could be the difference between them kind of being competitive in games and being good enough to take points away from them. Similar story to Chelsea on, on, on Saturday, really, where for the most part, Evan didn't concede too many chances. But on the other hand, they didn't really look like scoring either. They got into a couple of decent positions. And really, I think that, you know, had it been, say, Dominic Calvert-Lewin in the position that Damari Gray found himself in in the first half when the ball dropped to him from Alex Wobie's cross, I think that would have been a goal. And then one or two other moments where just the build-up play was just lacking that little bit of quality. I think you, know, you saw Dwight McNeil try to play Damari Gray through on goal and just overhit the pass. You just think maybe if that was Alex Wobie making that pass, it might have put Gray through one-on-one, or perhaps McNeil came a little bit more confident or a little bit more, you know, three or four more games into the season. So, you know, obviously I, I think that you you don't want to start a season slowly and Evan clearly started the season slowly and, you know, there's this clearly a lot of work to do on the training ground and I think in the transfer market as, as well. Um, but... I'm going to say they aren't a million miles away from where I think Lampard wants them to be. But obviously, sooner or later, they're going to have to start turning, you know, six out of ten performances into seven and a half, eight out of ten performances and, and get some points on the board. Yeah. Um, Gavin, I mean, what was your take um, from the weekend? Was there much encouragement you, you could take from that, given that it is two defeats from two now? Uh, yeah. In that, uh, I think Joe Sainz right is um, pretty content with the, the resilience that they've shown and uh, they've been, been organised at the back. There's obviously, you know, a system there of, of playing, whether you, you, you like it or not. So we're obviously appear to be better trained, better coached, with more more of an idea of how we wanted to play this season than what we were last season. So they're the positives. I think the negatives for me, 
I, I think go back to Friday, and I think there's been an ongoing discussion about whether who we should play as centre forward. Said yeah. on Friday, expected Rondon to play. Disappointed that he didn't, and I didn't see anything during the game to 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 prove that I was wrong. And I just thought a little niggly bit really was a bad goal, wasn't it? The first goal to concede. Yeah. I thought defensively we were we were pretty sound, like we were against Chelsea. Can't think of many saves that Jordan's had to make across the two games. Yeah. But we have this thing where we play three at the back, and if one of the four backs pushes forward, then Holgate goes as a sort of auxiliary right midfielder. Mm. And on Saturday, he did that. And that leaves you just two centre-halves at the back and both full-backs have gone forward. And you're relying on your midfield man then to sort of drop back a bit. And Decore didn't. So consequently, when the ball gets cleared, there's a hell of a lot of space in our half, isn't it? That two centre-halves have got covered. And we've got to cover. We'd already a man down anyway because Holgate's gone support on the right-hand side. And... We conceded the goal there that we should never have conceded, and that mm. at a time when it was nil nil, it was uh, it was really disappointing goal goal for me. The, the other positive I'm sure we'll talk about is Anana. Yeah, he yeah. look, already looks box office on the basis of mm. eight or nine minutes. I yeah, think, I, think we, I get the impression that we might be talking about him a lot during the course of the season on this podcast. Yeah. yeah. A mixed but lively cameo from from the, from the debutant um, Joe. Um, I think when we discussed this before the game, um, as as Gav has already mentioned, there uh, we expected Salomon Rondon to start, the only fit, sort of recognised striker at the club. I imagine Steven Gerrard expects him to start. The fact that he brought Tyro Mings in, into the side. I mean, what, was that was that a mistake in, in in retrospect looking back? I mean, should they have gone with the recognised centre forward? We don't know what's going on at Finch Farm yeah. day in, day out. We don't see what Frank Lampard and his coaching staff see. Obviously, Rondon has had a full pre-season but missed the game against Brentford because of suspension. I think Lampard alluded to the fact that he might not have been quite fully up to match speed when he played on, on well, when he was chosen selected for the bench on, on Saturday. But really, I... I would have wanted him to a start, especially having watched um, Aston Villa against Bournemouth on the first game of the season. Yeah, they really struggled to deal with with Kiefer Moore, who's the target man up front for, for Bournemouth. And I think that when you watched Aston Villa at the weekend, I think they would have really struggled to deal with a target man again throughout most of that match. You saw Rondon caused a bit of chaos when he came on for you know, at the end of the second half, he has a tendency to do that and just cause carnage and the the players around him have the potential to then pick up on loose balls and he draws players out of position. I can understand how Lampard might think that he can't do that for a full 90 minutes. He probably can't. But I think for myself, I probably would have preferred to have started Rondon and got the hour out of him and saw where that took Everton rather than bring him on for the last half an hour and Everton were chasing the game. When we saw what happened, how it unfolded at Villa Park, you know, Villa still Villa was poor at dealing with crosses into their box. Damari Gray ended up with a glorious opportunity from across in the, in the box that Villa couldn't defend properly. A number of Everton's corners caused real 
concern to Aston Villa and, and were perhaps a little bit unlucky not to have converted from, from any of those. I think if you'd have thrown Rondon into the mix, then I think that would have only increased the amount of problems that Villa would have had defending those type of balls. Plus, you know, I think it would have given their centre-back something else to, to deal with because, you know, we've seen him do it for a second game in a row now, but, you know, Andy Gordon, I don't think is, is quite adept to, you know, playing the false nine. I thought we, we saw some glimpses of good play from Anthony Gordon uh, at, at, at the weekend, but we very much saw where his strengths lie. And his strengths lie when he's got the ball at his feet and he's running at defenders rather than when he's trying to compete with centre-backs either on the ground or, or in the air. You know, we saw it. You know, there was a burst in the first half where he took it past two players before being fouled on the edge of the Villa area. And he, he looked really good then. I really thought he should have had a free kick when he was brought down by Tyrone Mings' outstretched arm in the first half as well. And that was from picking up the ball relatively deep and charging past him. You know, it looked like he was going to win that foot race. There was definitely contact. You know, that looked like a, a foul to me. So all in all, I, I think that not only would it have increased Everton's potential potency from set pieces, Aston Villa clearly struggled to defend anyway. I think it probably would have helped the balance of the rest of the side because there'd be more players playing in the positions that they're most adept at. You know, I think if Gordon was playing off Rondon or wide of Rondon with, with Gray on the other side or McNeil on the other side, I think that might have been a, a better a better option for Everton. Yeah. I mean, Gav, as Joe has just alluded to, it's kind of like a, a double whammy, really. No matter what you think Rondon offers or doesn't offer, the fact that when he's not on the side, if you're playing Gordon, that's a false number nine. You're not playing Gordon, perhaps in um, a position which best utilises his strengths. Well, and, and also a position that he doesn't play normally. Yeah. Completely yeah. different game, centre-half, uh, centre-forward. Yeah. No, centre-half's a different game as well. Yeah. Centre-forward <laughs> to... Uh, it may be a play there, perhaps next week. Um, yeah, it's, you're receiving the ball with the back, you're back to goal, and you've you've got like a 360 degree vision. You've got to have all that type of stuff. But if you're playing out wide, it's a, it's a completely different game. So uh, Brian Clough used to say, uh, and he knew a thing about management that mm. the, the the biggest sin as a football manager can do is to give a job to a player who hasn't got the tools to carry out the, the role. And, and I think that's the case with, with Gordon. Uh, and I'm not I'm not blaming Frank with that, by the way, because he's, he's got limited options at the moment. So yeah. I think we need to remember that. And also regarding the Rondon selection, I always think that if there's a 50-50 shout and you don't know what you're going to do, Marzo, do the dis- make the decision that your opposing manager least likely, you know, least likes you, you to do. And in this mm-hmm. case, the thing is, is the one Gerard that would have been is least likely option would would have been to have a have Rondon up front, wouldn't it? Yeah. You know, that that's what that's the one scenario uh he wouldn't have wanted compared to if you'd looked on the team sheet on Saturday, you could sort of seen like, you know, same as last week against Chelsea, so we thought, yeah, I'll have that. You know, yeah. Rondon would have you he wouldn't have wanted the Rondon option. And I mm. think Frank should have bore that in mind, I think. As you say, he'd obviously prepared for that in the way they set up the team. So yeah. I think those are the two things I'd say about about the selection on on Saturday that I felt felt it was wrong. And I I, I think I'd take Joe's points. I think 60 minutes, 50, 60 minutes would have been would have been fine. The Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. You ready? Showtime. 
On May 3rd, summer starts with the Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. And um, another big um, selection. Call. I mean, as, as expected, Joe, that uh, Connor Cody came in for his debut. I mean, he's hardly ever missed a game for Wolverhampton Wanderers, so it was probably no um, surprise to see him um, go go straight into that side. Well, no, especially with the, the loss of, of Yerry Mina and Ben Godfrey you know, the week before. Obviously, we saw that Everton's interest in Connor Cody picked up even before those injuries. Yeah. So bearing in mind that there are other areas which were probably more of a priority to strengthen, the fact that they were looking to bring Cody to the club even before two of their starting centre-backs before his arrival uh, became injured, probably suggested that he was going to come straight into the first team and clearly be a part of those plans. And that's that's what he did. And he, he looked decent. You know, I think, you know, he looked steady. You know, he probably looked a little bit rusty because his pre-season or his preparation for the game would have understandably have been hit by the fact that, you know, he was involved in a, in, in a transfer move, albeit a lone one. And clearly the fact that he's playing, you know, alongside new teammates and, and also behind a, a centre midfield, which... I think even Lampard has admitted it's very much a, a makeshift centre midfield pairing of Alex Iwobi and Abdullah Dekori. I don't think they've done a bad job there, but yeah, there are a lot of mitigating, there are a lot of factors outside Conor Cody's control that make his job harder when he has to come in straight away to start against Aston Villa. But yeah, I thought he did a decent job. And you know, I think probably like a lot of people, my heart was in my mouth when he went down. I thought he's played 196 of the last 198 games and all of a sudden he's receiving treatment on the pitch in his first game for, for Everton. It really did feel like a, a centre-back curse. But, um, you know, he took a bang to the head and I think you know, probably because of a, a disrupted preparation, suffered a little bit of cramp uh, when he when he did come off. But I asked Frank Lampard after the game whether there was any issue with him and he was, he was adamant there was, there was none, there was no problem. Which yeah. is obviously a positive sign. Yeah, and Gav from from Cody, who's you know a, se- a seasoned pre- Premier League player, to uh, Nathan Patterson, who really had to wait a long time to get to get his, his big chance at Everton. I mean, he's had an encouraging start to the season, considering that you know Seamus Coleman has made that position his own for so long. Yeah, yeah, he looks um, he looks a real promising player, doesn't he? And I know. It was mentioned in comments, he may not have heard that that other big clubs are already looking at him. <laughs> yeah, selling them um, on already. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, and, and he, he's, he's had two good games, which is quite surprising because there was talk at the end of last season, he played the cup game, that maybe Frank wasn't enamoured with him the way he played. And you're thinking, you know, is, is it going to work out for him? But he, he's looked excellent in, in both matches. And I think, Joe, you picked up on the point where he turned Luka Dean inside mm. out, didn't he? On, on, you know, and by the opposition penalty box in, in, in the second half, I think. Yeah, he, he's looked excellent. He's looked solid. And, um, yeah, and he's looking good value for, you know, for his transfer fee at the moment. And being young, you know, he's obviously got, I don't want to talk about selling them now, yeah. but it's obviously a good invest. It's a good investment, isn't it? From what you see mm. so far, the money we paid and his performance he put in the other two games is he looks a good investment. And um, I think, Coleman, it helps Coleman because it doesn't mean that we Coleman's got to play every week, does it now? So yeah. we can just bring Coleman in as he sees fit. And if, if Patterson carries on, 
as he's done, then I don't think Seamus is going to get many games this season, which is uh, good news for everyone, I think. Maybe yeah. not Seamus, but yeah, yeah. excellent. Yeah. Yeah, well, I think yeah, like you say, Gav. I mean, um, Seamus hasn't been helped by the club in that respect, and it could it could be quality rather than quantity for him going forward now. But um, Joe, um, we've mentioned already um, the the midfield situation there, and it's not it's not ideal. And then what is certainly not ideal is yet another injury. Abdullah Dakori um, didn't look good the way that that chance went in. Uh, Danny Ings, and but mitigating circumstances for him, he was probably hurt before that actually. Happened, but yet again, you know, it's another injury and it's another concern for Frank Lampard in, in an area he just doesn't want it to, to have another headache. Yeah, he's such a dynamic player, and obviously, he is box to box, does a lot of running. And I think you know, we could all see that he looks quite laboured when he was trying to chase trap back for, for Aston Villa's first goal. And you know, it was only a couple of moments later that, that he came off. So, I, my reading of that was he probably yeah. picked up the hamstring issue that led to him coming off prior to, to, to the goal. And I think really he was, with the exception of, of, of Jean-Philippe Gabamin, who is not injured but did not make the squad, I think at the time, Decore was probably the only fifth recognised first-team central midfielder that Frank Lampard had available to him. He's already playing him alongside Alex Awobi, who is so versatile that I don't think anyone could ever call him, ever suggest that he'd been playing out of position. Hmm. Um, and he's doing a great job in, in centre midfield as well. But clearly that, that's not the position that he has the most experience in. Um, but you, know, you look, at, look at everyone else, like Tom Davis obviously came on for him, but he's only just coming back from a calf injury. So he, he'd only had a couple of days training. And Anna, his fitness and his pre-season was uh, disrupted by the move to, to Everton, which ended up taking a little bit longer than it probably should have done. So there's a bit a period of a couple of days around last weekend where we know he was on Merseyside because we saw him at the, the Chelsea game, but because the paperwork hadn't been done, he technically couldn't train with Everton. So his fitness was, you know, isn't quite top level, um, which is why he only came on so late. Alan picked up a knock just before the game. He picked up on Friday. Andre Gomez is still suffering from an injury that he had, uh, that he picked up when the club were in America on the preseason tour. So, you know, it, it, when you look at where we are at the beginning of the season, I mean, when you look at one of the things that was the biggest problem of last season was injuries. And Everton have started this fresh campaign and they are already decimated by injuries. You look at Dominic Calvert-Lewin, is probably the most severe one because Everton have no other real options up top with the exception of, of Salomon Rondon. But then you go through the heart of the team and you look at all those I just mentioned in centre midfield. And that situation could have been exacerbated now if Decore's injury keeps him out for any length of time. And then obviously we know the situation at centre-back where Godfrey and, and Mina are both out for, you know, for for a couple of months at the very least. And, and Seamus Coleman, who I think is probably more likely to feature when he does play as one of the three centre-backs as opposed to the right wing-back. You know, Just going back to the Nathan Patterson conversation. Yeah. But he's only just coming back to fitness as, as well. So... You know, you really do look at it. I mean, Lampard wants his side to become far more robust over the summer and he's achieved that to a certain extent, but he still has a long way to go because injuries are still clearly having a problem and we're only two games into this campaign. Yeah. Gav, does, does it come to a point where you, you can't just 
keep being unlucky with these injuries? Could there be some sort of underlying factor beyond all of this, just the, the way they're setting up? I know Dominic Calvert-Lewin got injured on the eve of the season and Frank described it as a freak injury. I mean, just and we joked there about Connor Cody, but just how many injuries can you have before it becomes like more than unfortunate? I think this was one of the things the club was looking at, weren't they, over 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 the summer and yeah. when Frank came in about the amount of injuries and the, the rehabilitation um of players and the length of time. Yeah, I think so. I think what other what also comes into it is the age of age of players, doesn't it? Oh, you've mentioned yeah. players being injured there. Okay, DCL twenty five, but as Frank said the um a you know a freak injury, but the core is what, 29, 30? Yeah. Alan's out injured, he was 30, 31. As I mentioned Seamus, 30, 34. If you got if you got pl- players in an age and squad, they're just gonna get get injured, aren't they? It, it's not it's not and their rehabilitation is going to be longer. So I think that comes into it. Well, I don't think that's the overall explanation because, as you say, Tom Davis is relatively young and he's had an injury and yeah. you know, out for the end of most last season, the second half of it. Perhaps, or maybe we just have been unlucky. I mean, this has been a long-standing thing, hasn't it, though? That goes back. Yeah. It's not necessarily saying, oh, Frank's messed it up. It goes back to, you know, even in Ancelotti's time. Yeah. Probably, and before then. Uh, I, I don't know, Chris. I, mm. I don't know. I'm not, but I do think yeah. the age of the squad definitely comes into it. That the players who have recurred and injuries now tend to be the older, older players in the team. Yeah. Well, hopefully, Joe. On the on the flip side of that, there's nothing about Amadou Anana, young lad. Not not only not even turning 21 until later th- this week. Um, it was an eventful cameo from him. He he he, he finally got on. He sort of made it. Um, his his mark. At both ends of the, the pitch, but I mean, obviously, it was unfortunate what happened to him with with Villa's second goal. But then, it's, I mean, you know, all you can do after making a mistake like that is go down the other end and then set one up or score one yourself, which he did with that assist. Yeah, I thought it was all positive, to be honest. From, from yeah. that. And I, I know that you know he he was dispossessed for this on the halfway line for the second goal, but you know, Lampard alluded to this in his post match comments where the reason he lost the ball was because he was looking to be positive with it and wanting yeah. everything to really miss it at the minute. Somebody in the middle of the park who can you know, take the ball facing their own goal, turn and try and do something positive with it. That's what he was trying to do. Okay, mm. it didn't quite work out for him. And, you know, you can understand why it might have felt a cruel introduction to the Premier League for him to, to then see them go out, the opposition go up and score from, from that position. But obviously a lot of things had to happen before... You know, between Anana losing possession and you know Emmy Bundy scoring that goal, um, but the fact that he was in that position in the first place and looked to be positive, I thought was a good sign, and I thought it was an even better sign that at a time when you know such a young lad on his first team debut, he he could easily have wanted the ground to swallow him up, and instead what he did was first opportunity after the goal, he's there showing for the ball again, and this time he's doing what he's probably been brought in to do, and you know he made a positive run, he drove forward. Villa just couldn't stop him. He got to the byline, showed the skill to turn Diego Carlos and, and put the ball in that ended up going into the back of the net. So I thought it was it was a really promising show and not just on a you know, a physical level because you could see the the talent that he clearly has, but also on a psychological level because you know to have the strength of character and the courage to come away from a moment like Aston Villa's second goal to then go and do that for the goal that Everton back into the game. 
you know, I, I thought that was really, really encouraging. The Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. And Gav, I suppose that's why they've paid um, the big money for him. He does offer something different, a new dimension to, to the play. I mean, obviously, his stature too. He's almost like a, a youthful Gavin Buckland there with the, uh, <laughs> the height that he possesses. But... Uh, yeah, it's, yeah. It's, a new, it's a new element to the Everton's uh, style of play that you yeah. I The only thing we've got in common is I regularly give away goals. So um, <laughs> I know that feeling all too well over the last few weeks. Yeah, I mean, there's a few things we learned on, on Saturday from him where, I, I say, I think he's box office, isn't he? Yeah. He's got, he's got something about him. Um, B, I think, I, I get Joe's point, what you're saying about giving the goal away. I didn't think it was the best ball into him actually because he was he had three Villa players on him, wasn't he? Yeah. So as soon as he got it, he was sort of he had three players on him straight away. Uh see, I don't think he's at a, a number six, is he? No. From what you've seen on on Saturday. He, he's 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 gonna be more of an offense, you know. When it says about we need an attacking midfielder, he looks like somebody who can hurt the opposition in their box in, mm-hmm. in, in their own box. So I think we 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 learned that from him and 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 they he's obviously got character and personality. And I said on Friday that we all know the club's financial position. We don't need to go into it. For them to spend what money they've got and spend thirty odd million quid on on the players improving the Premier League and there's not yet twenty one, they're showing a hell of a lot of faith in his his ability and his potential. Mm. And you saw some of that on on Saturday. And I, I don't, I mean, I can't speak for anybody else. I didn't come away from Saturday's game watching it and thinking, wow, we wasted that money on the basis no. of, of, of a very small sample of what, 10 minutes or whatever, he was on the pitch. Mm-hmm. You're looking at him and thinking, yeah, I think he, he could be, he's a right prospect, this lad, and could give us something we've not had for a while. And it's a bit like Fellaini, really. Yeah. And he's more mobile than Fellaini, by the way. Mm-hmm. Um, when we got Fellaini, we thought Fellaini was going to be a deep line number six, didn't, didn't we? Where actually he turned out to be effectively a striker. Yeah. Uh, second striker, didn't he? And Onana, I think, has potential, you know, to, to, to be like that. But he's far more, he's obviously got more pace, I think, than, than Fellaini, who on the face value looks maybe a little bit more technically more gifted, maybe. Where now there's more pace and power, and and you saw that on 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 Saturday, and and I think I'm quite excited. Yeah, watching play, and hopefully we'll talk about Saturday's game on Friday. I look forward to seeing more of him in the blue shirt. I think he, as I say, is going to be entertaining to watch this year. And and I think the the, the ta- you know the the dribbling past that's something we coach, can't it? Yeah, you know you just you just coach to learn when when to do it and when not to do it. So I'm not particularly too. You know, worried about that on Saturday. I think he'll, he'll learn quickly about how to, you know, when to release the ball and when to run with it. So yeah, that was all good, all positive, as as, as Joe said. Yeah, 
And Joe, uh, moving on, for another youngster. I mean, he's only just 21 himself earlier this year. Anthony Gordon, I mean, we're picking the bones out of um, Saturday's game and then it quickly moved on to this supposed interest from Chelsea. It's something you've, you've been covering this this last uh, day or so. I mean, just where are we up to and what, what are your thoughts on, on the whole uh, um, situation? Yeah, tr- trying my best to cover. Yeah. Um, like with anything like this, with every transfer or transfer room, they're inherently messy with lots of different people saying lots of different things. Uh, I think the the interest from Chelsea is genuine. Mm-hmm. Um, whether or not they've made a bid or not is, is slightly in question. Some people report they have, some, including myself, reporting the, not necessarily my words, but the, the words from inside the club that an official bid has not yet been made. That oh. hadn't been made as of Monday morning when when I wrote that story. Now we're now just after after Monday lunchtime. Um, key word being official there. I think there's probably a grey area between whether or not. There might have been some inquiries or you know, some sort of you know, verbal conversations between the more informal conversations, just testing the water out. Uh, because obviously there's, there are rumours that, um, that the rumours that Chelsea are seeking for around 40 million and that might go up after Everton being quite categoric and saying that they're not interested in entertaining bids for them at the moment. Obviously, I think we're in for a really interesting couple of weeks, to be honest, because or certainly a couple of days, because if Chelsea's interest is genuine, we know that they've got, we know that they've got the money to probably get to a point where Everton have to really consider it. So if they want the player, as we've seen with Koulibaly and Sterling and Cucurella and probably a couple of other players between now and the end of the transfer window, you know, if if Chelsea are sustained in their pursuit of Anthony Gordon, then it could become a really difficult one for Everton to to deal with. You know, there are a number of lingering issues probably including you know, the financial profit and sustainability rules and where Everton fall within that. I'm not saying that they would have to sell him or anything like that, but obviously being able to bring a huge sum of money and will only help their situation. And I think these weren't lessons that we learned on Saturday because I think everybody watching in the club already knew, but Everton need a striker. They need a striker yeah. and they probably need another central midfielder as well because as promising as Amadou Inanna is, Everton is still short in that position. And one of the worst things Evan could do is end up putting too much pressure on Onana in the same way that they're in danger of press, putting too much pressure on, on another youngster, Andy Gordon, um, by not recruiting well enough to find the players that can support them and help them to carry on developing in the game as, as, as they are doing. So I think we're in for an interesting one, to be honest, on this. Um, you know, Chelsea are pursuing a number of forward options. Obviously, they're looking at Aubameyang, completely different player, of course, to um, to Andy Gordon. But it's, it looks very clear that Chelsea's business in this window isn't done. And regardless as to you know, the technicalities as to whether an official bid has been submitted by the time that we're talking, if Chelsea if Chelsea honing on the fact that they believe that Gordon is someone that can take their club forward, then yeah, they have enough money to probably keep going until Everton's we're not interested in entertaining any bids cuts to a point where they have to, if not have a conversation that they want to have, have a conversation that they need to have. So I think it's very much going to be a case of, of, of watch this space, uh, but it's going to be a difficult one for Everton to deal with if, if they reach a, if they start putting in bids where the valuation comes close to what Everton put in at. Yeah. I mean, Gav, uh, 
Joe's mentioned there, you know, it, it could become a difficult one. Frank Lampard has, has been quite categorically um, gone on record earlier this summer, spoke about Anthony Gordon while on the preseason tour of the USA, and he, he said he's going nowhere. So that that, that does make it difficult um, if this uh, situation changes. Going nowhere at the moment. Yeah. Um, that can change quite quickly. Oh, yeah. God. Very happy for. So, yeah. I've had a quit every time. I'm not talking about this sign and about uh, Anthony Gordon. A manager said he's going nowhere. Yeah. And like a week later, he you know, moves on, gets transferred out. You know, I'd be, I'd be rich. Um, yeah, interesting on this. I said the other week that he should stay, but that's on the basis of a certain transfer fee. Mm-hmm. I, I, I mean, I'm just thinking here, what did Richardson go for in the end? 50? Is it package? Could be rising to 60, yeah. I think, officially. Yeah. So, some of the numbers Anthony Gordon has been quoted at needs to be seen in that context if you compare him and Richardson. I know Richardson's contact comes into it and all that type of stuff. Um, yeah, an interesting one. I'd be interesting to think of. I suppose this throws up the question is just generally speaking, who signs off or not whether to at least enter the discussion with Chelsea about selling? Is it Talwell or Lampard or both? Did they both have to be on the same page? I think this throws up the question because Frank might say, Oh, it's not for sale. Talwell, who's the director of football, may think, Well, hang on a minute. Let's have a discussion here. I'm just thinking aloud here. Yeah. The owner yeah. may have a decision yeah, to make. The owner may. Yeah, so, I mean, the, and there's, there's the financial considerations of the club. And as an academy player, of course, it's all, all profit. So it's an interesting one in that I don't think Frank saying he's not for sale is necessarily something that is set in stone. And they may they may come a point where they find that the, the offer is attractive enough to say, well, actually, this could be really useful money for us to use elsewhere within the team. As as Joe's saying, we want to strengthen elsewhere. And um, I, I wouldn't rule that out at this stage, but it'd have to be a fee that the club find attractive enough to to sell. And also, what let's throw in: what does a Gordon want yeah. in this? I mean, we've not got a great. Evan have not got a great track record of selling players to bigger clubs, and they're working out for that player, have they? Mm. Going back to Flanny Jeffers twenty odd years ago. Yeah, you know the only player who's really excelled is probably be Wayne, and Wayne was always going to do that, wasn't he? Yeah. Really? You know, Rodwell, Barkley, Jeffers, real you know academy prospects who were sold because they had potential and could move move forward it hasn't worked for him and um that was if you're Anthony Gordon you'd probably have that in the back of your mind as well yeah. I don't know where to Stones is John, John Stones is slightly different maybe yeah. um but yeah so we haven't got a academy graduates haven't got a great track record of moving on and for bigger and better things at a top club and Anthony will well well worth and bear in that in mind the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. 
After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. I mean, Joe, it's an interesting point Gav makes there about the about the, the, the homegrown um, products because I think there is a, a big degree of, of emotion which goes with this. Uh, twofold, really. Like the fact that they've already sold Richarlison this summer, so it might have been different if, if he hadn't been sold, of course. But also, in fact, that, you know, he is a local lad and he's only been in the side for, for, for one year. So just sort of the sort of message that it sends out were Everton to, uh, to, to cash in on one of the, the, the homegrown lads. It doesn't send out a positive message. I don't think there's any doubt about that. Everton are in a position where really they need to be strengthening going forward rather than than losing players. So I think that even if if they end if they end up in a position where Andy Gordon is sold, it will only ever be a pragmatic solution to where they are at the moment. I think they'll be influenced by the fact that yeah they perhaps would not be able to turn down a huge sum of money and. Obviously, they need to find players that can boost Frank Lampard's options in a couple of places on the pitch. You know, nobody wants to sell their, their young, you know, their young stars whilst they're still developing. So, I think I think the message wouldn't look very good, particularly coming so close off the back of the sale of Richarlison. Really, if you'd say that Everton have two talisman in their team, two players on the pitch that were capable of, of getting the Goodison Park crowd behind them, um, you know, whipping up support for the rest of the team with, with you know, with a moment of play. You just said it was Richarlison. You said it was Anthony Gordon. We've already lost, um, already lost Richarlison, and they did so for a couple of reasons: one, financial, and and two, probably because they got to the point where they couldn't give the player what he wanted because he probably wanted European football. Yeah. Uh, and, and the club haven't been able to deliver that, that to him. So, you know, I, I don't think that there's ever a scenario this where if Gordon leaves this summer, it's a, good, it's a move that looks good for Everton. Um, the question that may well end up having to be asked is whether or not they feel they can take more steps forward by selling him than by keeping him. And, you know, if they get a significant sum of money, how much will that help them with profit and sustainability and how much will that help them rebuild the squad for a squad that, because at the moment, Anthony Gordon looks very good, but it's very much a case of potential. You know, I think Chelsea would be buying his his potential. At the moment, Everton need players that can do a job now. Um, Anthony Gordon can do that, but they need a centre midfielder, they need a striker. Um, you know, they do have other attacking midfielders. If they got a significant sum of money for him, that would that enable them to strengthen the, you know, create a more a stronger, more well-rounded squad? Possibly, if you know Chelsea have a couple of players that Everton have been interested in all summer, Conor Gallagher, Armando Brozier, two of the main ones. You know, we saw with Cucurella going to Brighton at Levi Colwell, another player who was once mentioned um, is potentially heading to Everton this summer. He he's gone that way on loan, so. Could you see a scenario where one of those comes on loan as well, um, as, as part of a deal? That then, then maybe you know, it's, it's it won't be a good look for Everton, but there are ways in which it might not be a bad deal for Everton. And I think Everton, I think a lot of Everton fans would understand that. But that's probably the problem that Everton will have is if Chelsea, if if Anthony Gordon, if, if the interest is persistence, Anthony Gordon wants to go. And the numbers of money and the numbers become significant. 
then Everton will probably end up having to to balance a number of issues there, and it could it could go either way. To be honest, mm-hmm. um, you know, it, it it really could. I think in terms of who would sign off on things like that, it probably comes down to whether Everton need to do it for financial reasons. I think I think I don't see a scenario where Frank Lampard and Kevin Fowler who get on really well. Um, I don't see a scenario in which they're not joined joined up on this. I think they would mm-hmm. have to come to an agreement. Um, and for football reasons, you know, at this present moment in time, you'd think, well, they'd probably prefer to keep hold of him unless, let's say, the money or the deal became so substantial that they could really reshape the squad, which still needs strengthening. If, and it's very grey, really, to be honest, where I stand on profit and sustainability, um, other than the fact that the Premier League seem comfortable with where they are at the moment, but if the financial issues come into it, then obviously I think probably with what happened with Richarlison, which is I think it becomes a decision that the board have more of an influence in as, as well. Yeah. Gav, at, at what point does it become an offer which is, is too good to refuse? Because, I mean, the club probably, they, they wanted, they valued Richarlison at more than what they, they had to, they ended up getting for him, but um, like I said, there was a certain degree that that, that deal needed to, to be done to just get the wheels in motion for squad rebuilding. Um, that's not necessarily the, the case here, although obviously there's a couple of areas mm. they do need to, to to bring in. I mean, when you consider um, Chelsea just paid £62 million for a left-back, so I mean, that sort of shows you the sort of numbers that are involved um, th- these days, I mean, it, it's probably going to have to be a, a, a substantial amount of money to, to sort of force Everton's hand, you would imagine. Yeah, I mean, th- one, the other thing I'd say about Gordon before I answer the question, Chris, it's like, yeah. as supporters and, and, and as a group, you always say, oh, we, other clubs sell their academy prospects and graduates for big money, but we never do that, you know. We don't have, but when we do choose to, you know, Sell one, or they're, oh, I can't sell them. They're, they're one of our own. You know, you can't do that. You know, so there's there's a, there is a balance there. Uh, t- so I think you know we shouldn't let that stop us that we can't sell an academy prospect because they're part of the the, the, the fixtures and fittings of the club. Um, we, they, they are good. You know, academy products are good for sales, aren't they? You know, mm-hmm. for, for for clubs who are progressing. Chelsea are a classic example of that, obviously. Um, in answer to your question, if you're putting the value on them, I think if it went above 40 million, I think you'd have to look at it. If you're selling yeah. the Charles from 52 plus add ons, I think that and that, that's a gamble. It's a gamble for both clubs, then, isn't it? It's a gamble for us. Actually, we've undervalued him and the end becomes one of the England's top players, but it's mm-hmm. also a gamble for Chelsea, isn't it? Because they're paying 40, 45 million on potential, a bit like us with Anana, I suppose. So it's a gamble for both clubs. And I think um, if it went above forty, I think you'd be you'd be saying, "Well, we need to think about this." Certainly, as, as Joe was saying, at you know, a board level, for for the player who's had a, a season or so in 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 the Premier League, I think that's a, that's the, the sort of figures I'd be looking at uh, bringing Chelsea to the table. Yeah, well, I'm sure it's going to be a very interesting time for a few days at Everton as, as always and of um a few incomings as well potentially um not just this week but obviously the week after as we approach the the transfer deadline could be a busy time um at Goodison Park but before that obviously there's the uh home game against Nottingham Forest uh, 
on Saturday. So we'll be looking forward to that. We'll be joining you uh, at the back end of the week and we'll look forward to that. And who knows, maybe some personnel changes within the Everton squad, either incomings or outgoings by then. So this has been the Royal Blue Podcast. I've been your host, Chris Beasley. I've been joined by Gavin Buckland and our Everton correspondent, Joe Thomas. You've been listening to the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo.